Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is our best of 2021 edition. How are you, Adam? We're still alive, still kicking. <laughs> surprise, surprise. A new podcast from the Film Coterie. <laughs> we haven't seen each other face to face for a while, so it's fun to be back in the studio. Yes. Back here in the studio, and it's going well, and uh, um, got it all. You know, there's still some janky cabling going on because it sat for two years <laughs> because of the pandemic. It feels like home. Nothing much has changed. Yep, a- absolutely. And it's good to be back talking about films, even if it is just a best of 2021 list. Yep. So Roger and I have been watching movies all year, and we're going to be going through our lists. We'll point out a couple that we weren't able to catch because, as you're perfectly well aware, this has been a strange year for film. Still, we say this each year now. Yeah, it has. And so your normal film consumption in a year is 300 plus. I'm just going to say 300. Between film festivals and all of that, you're 300 plus every year. How did you land on your letterbox this year? I was at 175, I think, so about half. So in my annual film consumption is anywhere from 70 to 90 usually, and I landed at 41. So about half for both of us, really. Yeah. And we've been, it's a mix for us. We're watching a lot more online premieres. You know, there are films that were sent straight to a streamer, like HBO Max this year had most of the Warner Brothers lineup. Yeah. We still got our end of the year screeners, and we've been going to press screenings. Press screenings just being a limited audience of critics. Um there's a few movies I, I really tried to catch up here at the end, but there were still that I just weren't able to see, like West Side Story, for instance. Right. Uh, the only screening that was available to us was a public word of it, word of mouth screening. Yeah, and for me, so disappointed, Licorice Pizza, I, I di- had, didn't get a chance to see it. West Side Story didn't get a chance to see it. So, you know, part of me wants to put them on my 2022 list if I see them this year, but we'll talk about that next year. Right. So, I mean, we're hoping things are going to return to normal. I know we say this every year, but we just want to get back to it. I really I miss the film festivals. I really yes. miss just going to the movies on a Friday night. Hopefully you've been following us on social media because we have been doing a really good job of putting Facebook posts and Twitter posts and those kind of things as we see films and what our thoughts are about them. Um, and we're going to attempt to do more podcasts in 2022. That's the plan. Our, our plan is we're, we're crossing our fingers that there is light at the end of this tunnel. And we just want to get off our couches and go see, sit in movie theater seats. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's the convenience factor is nice, but there is nothing like a big screen experience if the movie is made for the big screen. Right. Well, what else What else has been happening, Adam? Anything else from 2021 before we just jump right into this this top 10 list? Well, uh, it's going to be interesting because I had kind of posted a while ago that with so much noise out there and so many releases happening at home, I think it's important that we drive people to the movies that we see and we really like because things are just getting lost in the shuffle. This was a year where a Guillermo del Toro movie released almost no fanfare and very little box office. Yeah. You know, and we're not having a normal award season, unfortunately, because COVID's still out there. So these people aren't in January. I don't see people flocking to the theaters to see the nominees. So I just say, if you're out there and you're watching something and you really like it, take advantage of your social media. Share it with your friends and family. Yeah. 
and just get these films seen because I, I just feel like they're getting lost in the noise. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Adam. And so uh, w- with that in mind, why don't we take a quick break and let's jump right into our uh, top 10 films. Let's do 10 through 6 of the film coterie for 2021. Okay, and we're back, and uh, I think, uh, why don't I just start us off with our top 10 and start with my number 10. Sure. So, my number 10 film is Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul is the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival documentary directed by none other than Quest Love. And uh, I, this is an all-star, all-star cast of, of African-American musicians and um, just an amazing... I mean, we're talking Stevie Wonder, Mahalo Jackson, The Fifth Dimension, The Staple Singers, Gladys Knight and the Pips... Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, if you think of late 60s, early 70s, just some iconic people. They came together at a park in New York and had a film and had a, a music festival. And they they uh, recorded the whole festival and it never played anywhere. Now, there was another festival that just happened to go on the same year um, that that really kind of overshadowed it called Woodstock. Right. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, uh, but but this this summer of soul, this Harlem Cultural Festival never really I mean, they they put all this money into it and they recorded it and everything. And so Questlove decided it was time for people to see what happened there. And I'm telling you, it was just riveting. I just loved the music. I loved seeing the people come together. I loved seeing a community. Thousands and thousands of people attended this event. I mean, it was huge park and wall-to-wall people for every day of the festival. And it was just amazing. I, I, I just was moved. I was inspired by it. Uh, it. It made me reminisce. And so my number 10 film is Summer of Soul. It's a great film. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I put it on my private best of list that I kind of keep throughout the year. And, you know, it's a really, really strong documentary. And there was another one, too, this year, uh, Sparks Brothers by Edgar Wright. So I felt like this was kind of a breakout year for music documentaries. Yeah, I miss Sparks Brothers. It's on my catch-up list. And uh, if you want to see Summer of Soul, it's now streaming on Hulu. So it is available for you. How about you, Adam? What's your number 10? My number 10 was a one-two punch of a movie. One, two, three, I guess you would say, because there's three parts to it. And that is The Last Duel from Ridley Scott, one of two movies he managed to release this year. And he's clearly showed us he does not care about accents. Because <laughs> in this film, no one's speaking with a French accent. And if you saw his other film, House of Gucci, everyone's speaking with whatever accent they'd like. Yeah. But Last Duel takes a story event, splits it into three parts, shows us different perspectives on it, and then finishes with a duel that really delivers. I mean, he's got kind of the same energy from Gladiator here. Okay. It's such a masterfully crafted final battle, and you're on the edge of your seat. If you don't know the story and who wins, it's legitimately exciting, and the movie builds up to it, and it just shows that even at his age, Ridley Scott still really has it. You know, this was a pleasant surprise for me. It did not make my top ten, but I was like, 
this is a really good film. And you're right, it does build. Um, I, I liked House of Gucci maybe a little bit better, and I'm probably in the minority there between the two films. Um, but yeah, the, he doesn't care about accents. It's just <laughs> no. like speak however you want, you know, kind of right. a deal. But but it really he he knows how to craft a story, and so Last Duel is is a really good film. Just just missed my top ten. Okay. I guess I'll go ahead with my number nine then. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Number nine I've already mentioned today, and it is Nightmare Alley, the most recent film from Guillermo del Toro. It's a remake, and it's one of the rare instances where he's not using his own material. So Nightmare Alley was a funny thing for me, and Roger and I have talked about this on a number of occasions because I was mixed on it when I walked out of the theater, not really knowing how I felt because... It, it doesn't really feel like your typical Guillermo del Toro. There's right. no magical realism going on. It doesn't quite have some of the spark or... That's not the right word. It doesn't have quite... He loves monsters and stuff, and he loves his characters. This film's a lot colder. There's kind of a warmth to Guillermo del Toro that's missing from the story, but that's necessary because this is a a story that's going one way, and he doesn't mess with that. He tells it very well. It's shot beautifully. Yeah, I would agree. And the more I thought about it afterwards, I mean, the more it grew on me. And I haven't had the chance to see it again, but I am looking forward to a second viewing of it. And I thought Bradley Cooper was just standout great in this film. I, a lot of what you said I agree with. I guess I'm a little less um, high on the film, uh, basically because uh, of the two halves of the film. I loved the first half and was less um, enamored with the second half of the film. But I agree, Bradley Cooper, fantastic in it. Um, but it was just a little bit of a miss for me. So my number nine film um, is a Wes Anderson film. How could I not put a Wes Anderson <laughs> film? Uh, Isle of Dogs was my uh, best picture for 2018. And so it's his follow up to that. The French Dispatch. Um, the, these movies just he just he just face melts me in so many ways when I go to see his films. You know, this is the French Dispatch is an American anthology. It's a comedy. It's it's, you know, of course, written and directed by Wes Anderson. Huge, large ensemble cast, three different storylines, you know, uh, five different acts. You know, I mean, just and and it's moving all over the place. It, it follows this French Foreign Bureau, a fictional Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun newspaper, you know, just even saying the whole newspaper Right. <sighs> wears you out, you know, uh, and and it's typical, typical. It, I, Wes Anderson called this his love letter to jur journalists, and it, it's just so visually, it's overwhelming, and 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 some people a little put off by that, you know, but it's so visually overwhelming. He's always kinetically moving the camera, moving people in the camera. Um, he he is. Uh, changing aspect ratios, colors, uh, I mean, everything. He just does what he wants to do. And for some people, it's off-putting. For me, it was mesmerizing. And it's my number nine, number nine film of 2021, uh, The French Dispatch. Oh, and this one hurts because he said, how could I not put a Wes Anderson movie on my top ten? I haven't. It's not on my list. <laughs> I liked it. I loved a lot of it. Um, uh, the only slights I have against it is just that I don't. It didn't really add up to like the other Wes Anderson movies for me, just because it was an anthology. It's yeah. fun. It's a diversion. 
it just doesn't feel to me in the end result as strong as his other work. I mean, it's something I'm still going to revisit. Sure. But unfortunately, it just didn't make my top 10, but and, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know where you can see this. I know, I think Walt Disney Studios actually owns it or produced it or helped produce it or something. It's out on VOD now. Is it VOD now? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, if, if you're a Wes Anderson fan, I'd recommend checking it out. Absolutely. Definitely yeah. check it out. How about you, Adam? Uh, so now we're going on to number... Oh, is it up to me? Number eight? Number eight, yeah. What All was your right. number eight? So, my number eight is a Netflix film, uh, Don't Look Up. And this is Adam McKay's uh, latest film. He brought us Vice and the Big Short. Of course, it's an ensemble cast, and everybody is in this. DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman. I mean, let's just go down the list. Right. Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep. You know, when Adam McKay, he, the guy can just get anybody he wants. But what I love about this film, some people loved it, some people hated it. And I, and I get it. I get it if you hate this film. But it, it is an allegory for climate change, government, politics, media's indifference. He's poking fun of all the things he thinks is wrong with the world right now. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I laughed. Uh, I followed right along with it, and it's 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 a it's a, a lot of my films are on Netflix in my top ten. Sure, <laughs> but it's "Don't Look Up" by Adam McKay. Yeah, this was a strongly divisive film this year, and it it's still probably being debated yeah. on Twitter. Um, it doesn't feel like a comedy because it's almost just too real. I mean, this is already happening with society. Everything portrayed in that movie isn't like a foot to the left. It's it's happening now. Well, yes. It may be a little hard to find the humor in it right now, but Adam McKay certainly went for it. Um, He's angry. (laughs) That's very clear in the film, especially on his Twitter account, too. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yep, absolutely. How about you? What's your number eight? My number eight is a Western almost unlike any other, and that is Power of the Dog. Yeah. The new film from Jane Campion with a powerhouse performance by Benedict Cumberbatch. So looking through my list, I see there's – there's a couple films where I can talk about where they're really elevated by nuanced performances and just writing. The writing in Power of the Dog is great because right. it's a character piece and these characters end up in a very different spot than where they begin. I mean, you're going to have feelings about Benedict Cumberbatch at the beginning because he's, he's cruel, he's vicious, he's bullying. But through the course of the film, he goes on an arc and you, you understand incredible. him a little bit. It's got an ending that's going to make you view the whole film differently the next time you see it. And just outstanding character work from everybody involved here. I mean, just a really solid piece. And when you hear Western, you'd never imagine this film. But it, it fits nicely into the genre. Yeah. I really liked it. And it may appear or may not appear <laughs> later on my list. Okay. All right. So where are we at? Number seven? Number seven. My number seven was one of the last movies I saw for the year. And that's The Tragedy of Macbeth. Oh, I have not seen this yet. It's a solo effort from a Cohen. And I really hope he's inspired to go on and make some more Shakespeare because it's almost unfair the advantages he has just with his legacy career in in Hollywood that he can just bring in some of the finest actors and shoot this. It looks incredible in black and white. The soundstage works immaculate. And just to see Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand play off each other and deliver Shakespeare lines, it's such a great experience. And now I have to add, it's not for everyone. I had some guests over one weekend, and I thought, oh, this is on Apple TV now. I really want to see it. I put it on, and I cleared the room. I was the only one that finished it. 
But it's not the film's fault. It's Shakespeare. Right. There's no modern adjustments to the language. Everything is complex. That's awesome. I recommend watching it with the subtitles on just because it's not vocabulary we hear every day. Right. I, again, uh, blind spot for me. I mean, it's definitely like on my radar. Can't wait to watch it. I, I saw it hit Apple. Uh, probably will get to it in the next couple of weeks. And again, I mean, Denzel is so good at what he does that it's just so natural feeling. Right. He kills it here. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's one of his best performances. It. Absolutely. My number seven, it was a surprising film for me. Uh, kind of came out of left field. It was one of those that when it popped up, I just put it on and played it and then just fell in love with it. And that's Netflix's The Mitchells versus The Machines. Um, this is an animated film. Uh, it's about a dysfunctional family that winds up having to save the world from a robot apocalypse. And a lot of social commentary on things going on around us. But I watched it with my whole family. And all fi- all, all, all of us gave it a big thumbs up when it was over. Um, and for me, Abby Jacobson, the daughter, and Danny McBride, the father, are just stellar in their performances here. Great chemistry together, great comedic timing together, real heart. I mean, I I teared up. My daughters, we start watching it, and within about five, there's a scene about five minutes in that just jerked on our heartstrings. My daughter and I are looking at each other because it's a daddy daughter film, you know. Yeah. Uh, p- part of it is, and uh, we were just tore up, man. And so, uh, I mean, great cast great vocal work it's it's fun funny um and uh according to netflix it was their it's their most viewed animated feature ever like 50 53 million people or something in the first 28 days watched it um i love i love the film from start to beginning recommend it to anybody who loves those animated uh fun um just kind of a thrill ride yeah, the yeah, Mitchells versus the Machines. It's more magic from Lord Miller. I mean, whatever oh, these guys yes, touch yes. as producers, it, it it definitely hit a lot of right notes. It's very entertaining, unique. There's not a lot of other animated movies like it, and it appeals to all age groups. This movie made my five-year-old nephew laugh harder <laughs> than I've ever seen him laugh. That's awesome. So it really connects, and it's just a, it's a really good film. So I'm oh. glad to see it on your list. Awesome. So uh, our last ones in this segment, right? Number six, I'll go ahead and go. Okay. My number six is our first crossover, and that's The Power of the Dog. Uh, of course, Jane Campion directing. Uh, you, I think you said what really needs to be said about it. I agree with it. Benedict Cumberbatch, he's going to be up for every award. He's phenomenal. Uh, it's one of those performances, like you said, where you start off just hating this guy, feeling for this guy, rooting for this guy, and then transformed in the end. Um, just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, performance. Kirsten Dunst is great in it. Yep. Jesse Plemons as his brother as is a great uh, yin and yang, you know, opposite here that kind of really plays against him. And Cody Smith McPhee just lights out great. I mean... Uh, wonderful you know the themes love grief all the things it deals with uh, resentment jealousy sexuality uh, cinematography is off the hook ensemble cast performances are great it's on netflix um you it's emotionally impactful so my number six is the power of the dog 
And my number six is the first horror movie so far on my list, and that is Candyman. Neo DaCosta took a cult classic and made it her own. And I don't, whatever you want to call this, whether it's a reboot or a legacy sequel, it ties in beautifully to the original that already had its own themes coming on. But coming now with her voice adds a lot of uh, layers and just hurt. You know, the themes that she's bringing from the original really resonate still today. It looks incredible. The mythology is great. She takes a okay mythology and makes it more legendary. She makes this wow. Candyman and all the Candymen great monsters, and they're a lot to think about, and just a stunning-looking film, the way she uses mirrors and reflections. Um, for remakes, this is kind of the gold standard. This is not just retreading any ground. This is updating, modernizing, and really nailing the head on theme. So just incredible film all the way around. I was blown away by the new Candyman. Wow. You know, that's I'm telling you, that's high praise, Adam. Yeah. I, I, I know your love of horror, and you're very critical in a positive way of horror films. Um, and, you know, it's it's not in my wheelhouse, have not seen it, but uh, that's pretty awesome. That was number six for you. Wow, already. I'll just say this real quick. I'm Go just ahead. looking at my list. I don't think a film on my list has a better ending this year than Candyman. Really? For really delivering, yep. Wow, that's that says a lot right there. Well, can you believe it? We're already halfway through. 10 through 6 is done. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our top five films of 2021, you are listening to The Film Coterie. All right, we're back, and now we're going to be dealing with our top five of 2021. The top five. Top five films of 2021. So I will start, and I am I would bet this one's on your list. I don't know for sure. Um, Andrew Garfield had a great year, and my number five is Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, nice. The directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. This explores the life behind the playwright songwriter that would go on to create rent um who thought he was getting old at the age of 30 and maybe things had passed him by but andrew garfield has such a standout performance here it's It's unbelievable that if you read he had to learn how to sing because he has this theater kid energy that lin manuel would know better than anybody and able to direct him oh yeah but this is such just an engaging exciting film and full of life and it's tragic because you know what happens after this. You know yeah. that he died before Rent premiered. But the film does not dwell in that. It's a real celebration of life and creative energy. And I was just really enthralled by it. I love Tick, Tick, Boom. And to tell you how, how good it is, I watched it with my daughter, who's a theater nerd. And she loved it. I mean, she was blown away. I can tell it's impactful when she's on her phone in a good way looking up all the backstory and reading right. about it and reading about uh, Larson and reading about how what happened and, you know, the cultural impact and stuff. And so uh, it may or may not be on my top five as well, but we'll we'll have to see. But a uh, great, great film, Tick, Tick, Boom. It's hard to say anyone had a better year than Andrew Garfield between this, Eyes of Tammy Faye, and then, of course, I don't want to spoil anything, but the new Spider-Man film. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of the new Spider-Man film, guess what happened to hit my number five? Oh, that was fortuitous. <laughs> it is Spider-Man No Way Home. I, I have to say, you know, I, from my from my immediate family, not my immediate family, my extended family, I catch a little flack sometime because when I do these top ten lists, you know, the big tentpole films aren't always on my top ten. Because there are just some stuff that moves me more and I think is better in the craft of film than, you know, one of the big tentpole billion dollar films, right? But I got to say, Spider-Man No Way Home was my best movie theater experience of 2021. Loved it. Was moved. Uh, it's fun. Full of surprises. Andrew Garfield. <clears throat> full of surprises as Adam spoiled. <laughs> if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, I can't help you. But We've given you a month of time to yes, see Yes, you know, Tom Holland is great. Zendaya is great. Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Um, it's visually stunning. It pulls on your heartstrings. Um, the story is phenomenal, and it really sets itself up to say, now we can continue to tell future Spider-Man stories. So my number five is Spider-Man No Way From Home. And let's even mention it gave such great space to the villains. They're all better in this film than they are in their original films, especially Defoe. Defoe really gets to shine here. Oh, it just, it just want, I want to remake with him as the main villain again. You know, he's so good. A absolutely. So yeah, for sure. Um, on to number four, right? Yep. Okay. My number four is a coming of age story written and directed by Kenneth Branagh and it is Belfast. And, uh, man, this film is just hit me in the feels. This is, this is actually a, um, it's a screener that you and I watched together. Yep. Uh, one of, we actually went over to your house and we, we put it on on a Saturday. And, you know, this this is, uh, Bronig says this is his most personal film. It's it's not biographical in any way, but it, it explains what he was going through as a young boy in Belfast, Northern Ireland in the late 1960s. And just shot beautiful um the 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 young kid in it jude hill is great mm -hmm. um the performances are spot on um you know judy dench as the guiding mom is great uh, i mean i it, it's just it's you know it's just shot beautifully filmed beautifully the music is great and it's just one of those times i was glad i i took two hours and watched this watched a movie so my number four is belfast okay my number four is a large budget film as we were just discussing and it is dune dune, dune wow okay is a property that i've enjoyed in literary form for most of my life you know we've always had computer games board games <coughs> other properties that adapted it well but we were stuck with, for better or worse, the David Lynch version of the film. Right. Which had its differences. And, you know, it's just one of those things. You always wondered, can they adapt Dune? Yeah. Can they make this into a film that would appeal to both a broader audience and then the fans of the books? I know never to doubt in Denis Villeneuve. I mean, this guy. He's so good. <laughs> doesn't miss. No. Um, yeah. Cold science fiction is his realm. Dune was the perfect property for him. And I, I just couldn't have been happier 
with the film is the way it came out. It felt like the world I'd read. It felt exactly what I wanted it to be and better in many ways. Um, I'm going to be impatient for the second part of it. But Dune was executed, I think, as well as you could ever execute a Dune movie. Yeah. Hey, I had the same feelings walking out of Dune after I saw um, Dark Knight. You know, that just this was a, a big director that understood the property and, and just made a film about as well as you could make in that, that yeah. genre and in that space. I, I cannot wait for this to come back to theaters in a re-release or at Gateway. Uh, one of the great regrets, I have seen the film, but one of my great regrets is I watched it on a little little 65-inch. <laughs> you know, it was 4K HDR and a good sound system, but this film in a theater... I can't even imagine how good it, it could be. The sound design's incredible. Um, the uh, use of the voice. It sounds amazing how layered it is in uh, the theater. You know, and, and so absolutely, in, from my opinion, the best adaption of Dune ever. I, I, I just thought it was fantastic. So may or may not appear on my list later. Okay. I think we're down to number three, Adam. All right, I'll take this one then. My number three, when I saw it, I thought... This is probably the best film I've seen all year. And there it is at number three. So that tells you a little bit about 2021. Wow. And that is Pig with Nicolas Cage. On paper, this sounds like it's going to be a John Wick film. The briefest description is that there's a truffle farmer in the woods. Someone steals his truffle pig and he goes out to seek the pig. Sounds like a revenge story. It's so much deeper. It's different than you can imagine. Nicolas Cage is giving a performance that's reined in for him. And, and really, really good. Wow. And it's just a, a surprising film. I've showed it to a couple people, and they've all been floored by it. Um, it's out on VOD now. I don't know if it's on any of the streaming services. It's from Neon. But Pig is just a phenomenal film. I cannot wait to see it. Um, it it's in my queue to watch. Um, I love Nick Cage. So it, it probably would have made my top 10 as well too, but unfortunately one of those blind spots where I just wasn't able to see it. So my number three is probably going to come as a surprise to you. And I, I don't think it's a film you've seen. Maybe you have seen it, but it's a Japanese road drama and it's drive my car. Now I just literally, this is one of these films I threw on as a, it was a screener and I threw it up on as a whim. I thought, you know, Japanese road drama, and I was about 20 minutes into it when I realized this is a three-hour movie. Yeah. So I thought, oh, no, should I? Sh-? And I almost stopped it right there. But I thought, well, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't have a lot going on. So I'm so glad I watched this film to the end. I'm going to butcher these names, but, but uh, Hamaguchi is the director, and it is phenomenal. He, it's the story of a guy who is um who's older who's been married for a while and he says he's had success as a director of a play and he puts these plays on and he's he's had a lot of success in japan and his wife dies suddenly and they had a interesting relationship you know definitely they both loved each other but she was more of a free spirit and he was more of a um kind of a very methodical method intense you know uh kind of director and 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 like the life of the party dies and he's left all by himself and so he goes out into this small village outside of the main town they're in 
and he he is putting on this play again and he has a driver that's hired for him and it's a young she's like 17 year old girl 18 year old girl uh, maybe she's a little bit older who's his driver and it's and I'm not even doing it justice but it's their interactions with each other his coming to terms with dealing with the loss of his wife and what was important and what was not important in their relationship and phenomenal i mean the acting blew me away the music is incredible yes it's subbed you, you got to watch it in english subs but i was so pulled in and emotionally pulled by this film it had to stay on my my top 10 you know when i first put it in and the longer i sat with this film it just i mean i thought about this film for days afterwards and so I'm so glad I'm going to look this, this Hamaguchi up and see what else he's done because drive my car is phenomenal. I've not seen it. It's on my list. It's just one of those I've not caught up with yet, but I've, I've heard nothing but raves from the people it, I trust. It, it's a daunting, it's a daunting task. I mean, you think three hours Yeah. and it's a slow burn. This guy does not get in a hurry, but I'm telling you, if you can block out the time, it is so worth watching. That's drive my car. Are we up to number two? Number two. Okay, I'll jump in. My number two is another crossover, and it's Dune, of course, right? The Denis Villeneuve's film. Everything you said is great. It is the perfect, it is the best adaption that I've seen of a Dune film, period. Loved it. Blew me away. I cannot wait to see it in the theater as soon as it comes to Gateway or somewhere close in a re-release. Uh, maybe they'll re-release it around Oscar time. I don't know, but I cannot wait to see Dune. I cannot wait for part two. Um, I, I will say that the performances by uh, uh, Zendaya and um, uh, I just forgot his name, uh, the lead. Um, oh, Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet, yeah, are really good, yeah. solid, you know. Is there a little bit of an? There's a tiny little issue with some of this pacing, I think, from the story right at the beginning. But outside of that, this is a phenomenal film, great film, uh, de genre defining for 2021, uh, and that's Dune Part One. Okay, my number two has already been mentioned. It is Belfast. Nice. Uh, we were talking about the length of uh, Ride My Car, the one you mentioned, um, Drive My Car. Belfast is the opposite of that. It's a breezy 90 minutes. It's yeah. the perfect length. Yeah. It's just such a well-executed film that takes a dark subject matter of the troubles, puts a light air to it with these characters. I mean, you do worry about them. There's a lot of emotion involved, but it's a feel-good film. The music is perfect, and it's just one of those films that you walk out of and you're like, that's cinema. You know, that to take that experience uh, and to make you feel the way it feels about it. Such a good film, it. yes. That I thought Belfast was incredible, and again, when I saw it, I'm like, this is the best film of the year, and it's my number two, so I'm often wrong. It's what we're learning today. Well, you know, it's weird how, you know, I use Letterboxd to curate my films, you know? Right. And so my top five has, has uh, you know, um, it, it's, it keeps bumping down as I see different stuff, and, and things are added to it, and so what my number one is not my number one was my was maybe my number two or my number three or my number four for a long time, you know, but other films come along that take the top spot. So and what's funny, like 
I don't know if it's on your list. I don't want to spoil anything, but we see movies earlier in the year and your list is kind of static. You know, the, the great films are all up there, but once you hit October, November, yeah. December, that's the award season. You start seeing all these incredible films. Your list just goes crazy at that point. <laughs> I won't mention the film because it could be up there for you, but we'll talk about it at the end. I do want to talk about this one film, but my number one, if we're ready. Let's go for it, Adam. Is Licorice Pizza. I knew it. Daggone it, I knew it. Paul Thomas Anderson transports us back in time. It's a loose narrative. You know, the narrative's not the draw here. It's his experience with these characters. We have two ah. new breakout performances from, you know, debuts from these actors uh, with Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim um, that are, are great. And it's just, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson film. Bradley Cooper steals the scenes he's in. It's fun. It feels authentic to the time. I, it's just an experience. I mean, the time flies when you're watching this. At least it did for me. Wow. I couldn't even tell you how long it is. You know, I, it could be two hours. It could be two and a half. I, I don't uh, know. I'm so bummed I missed the screening for this. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get to see it. And I, I think you'll like it too. But Licorice Pizza was, was clearly the number one. The top three are all a fair gap ahead of these others. But there really wasn't any debate for me after I saw Licorice Pizza, if that tells you anything. Uh, well, I can't wait to see it, and uh, um, I love me some PTA, man. He is He's great. Love his films. Um, and I will say this before I mention my number one. Um, my top five, really, honestly, for the first time in a few years, are all interchangeable. If I took my number five and made it my and said it was my number one, I could live with that. It wouldn't be. I mean, they're all just, I think, great films. Uh, and my number one's Tick, Tick, Boom, you know, oh, okay. as it bounced around, uh, it was the best theater experience, not theater experience, but movie watching experience I had with my with my daughter. Um, she's kind of my tent pole for her generation and she loved it. We loved it together. That probably bumped it to number one. It was going to be in my top five. Andrew Garfield is phenomenal. Um, both of my kids are theater brats from school, thespians in the thespian society. So we love stuff about, so I was already a sucker for this film before it ever, you know, I ever saw it, but I just love Andrew Garfield's performances. Um, uh, I can't wait to see what he does next. He's just eats the screen up. H how does he go from a young person full of energy and vibe to a, somebody that's dark and brooding and worried and it just his performance is just so great the music is great um the energy is great i loved that they used a musical to tell the story of a musical about a musical so they got like three layers of musical going on you know in this in this feature so yeah my number one is tick tick boom all right, well, that is our list. The one film I held back on talking about because I, I didn't know if it was on Roger's list. So, so what you want to take a break and we'll talk about sure. talk about honorable mentions and maybe some films that hit or miss for us. Yeah, that's fine. Awesome. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Film Coterie. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. And so, Adam, you, you started to say there was one film that you didn't know if it was on my list or not. Or 
So let's talk about some honorable mentions and let's start with this film you were thinking of. So this list was just off my top 10. You know, I I do not rank my 11 through 20. They're all close. They're all close enough they could have made this list. It's just a determination I make here as I come to the final 10. I think Apple as a company and film distribution is relatively new. I think they completely mismanaged this film. Um, If there's such the thing as distribution malpractice, they committed it. All right. It's Coda. It was released too early in the year. They did a very poor job in promoting it with critics near the end of the year to remind people. And this was a film that took the major awards from Sundance. And, you know, it didn't make my top 10, but I have to wonder if it had been released near closer to the end of the year, if it was fresher in my mind, because we saw this back in, I think, February or March. Right. You know, would have had a better shot of making my top ten because I, I haven't seen this film in months, and this year feels like it lasted forever. It, it's a forgotten film. It is, and it know? was just mismanaged, horribly by Apple. mismanaged. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, hundred percent. So, what are some of your near misses or honorable mentions that are in your, you know, two or three films that are in the next ten, maybe if you want to mention in no particular order? Yeah, so these aren't in any order. Um, there's a film I didn't. I struggled with this one because I really liked it. And I hope people seek it out. It's called The Worst Person in the World. It's coming from Neon. I think it only had screening runs really in New York and L.A. We got it in our screeners, but I don't... Um, it may have played Gateway here. I, well, I wasn't tracking, but it certainly was not pushed. Incredible film about relationships. Um, and I, I nearly put it on my top ten. Um, what are some of your films? Well, and what was the film again? I'm the sorry. Worst Person in the World. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um for me, I had two films that were four stars that still didn't make the list. And uh, it surpri- this was one of the most surprising films. And it was a Disney ad- adaptation that was Cruella. Mm. Um, loved it. Loved the performances. Loved the, the way they did this. So Disney's been in the business of making these live action remakes, right? And they have just been okay. Not, they've not lit my world on fire. I loved Cruella. Yeah. My daughter loved it, loved the story. It was original. It wasn't a live action remake. It was a prequel to the Cruella film, maybe. Um, And it's just phenomenal. Loved the film. Four stars, loved the music, loved the the sound in it. The acting in it was funny. Um, Great film. And then I also, surprise for me, right? I loved Black Widow. I thought it was great. I, this movie got pushed and bumped and pushed yep. and bumped. And I'm thinking, do we really need a Black Widow movie? You know, it's so it's some some of the Marvel films. It's real easy to get lost. They were okay, or and, and we've seen some Marvel films that were a little underwhelming this year. We won't yes. we won't mention any names, but anyway, and it's not Shang Chi. No, I loved Shang-Chi. I know. I know. <laughs> it's like in my top 20 here. Right. But anyway, I loved Black Widow. I, I The comedy just hit me right. The action scenes are great. Uh, play, uh, playing off her sister was great. Uh, you know, just just loved the film. Four star for me. Um, any more honorable mentions you want to talk about? Uh, I really liked Encanto by Disney. I think Disney's been I putting out. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I think Disney's been putting out some better stuff, honestly, lately than Pixar. Wow. Um, okay. So I'll just put that out there. Encanto really surprised me, and I, I thought it was a solid film. So when you get into films that, like, you know, honorable mention, Annette, I'm still trying to figure out what that film's about. <laughs> you need to watch the Sparks Brothers. I was just like, wow, okay, wow, okay, <laughs> okay, you know. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I liked The Hand of God. I thought it was really oh, good. Yeah. Such a moving film. Yeah. Um, I had a problem with one section of the film. We don't need to get into it, but but I, I liked the film. I mean, just really good. Uh, I liked the last Bond film, No Time to Die. I thought it was a good yep. send-off for Daniel Craig. That was in my top um, 20. I had a horror film in my top 20. And you'll never get... You won't believe it. It's Werewolves well, Within. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I mean, Nightmare Alley is technically a horror well, film. Okay, yeah. But for me, more classic, this is sure. Werewolves. Yep. I liked Werewolves Within. Fun, good. I like the story. One of the best video game movies you've ever seen. And, and you know, I could... I mean, I know people who love horror films probably wouldn't rate it nearly as high as I would. But I'm like, okay, I've learned the, like the, the not the tropes, or I've learned the things that they're going to do to set up the you know the horror stuff. Like you know something something serious has to happen to a child or something, an animal right in the beginning, so you know they're mean in business. It's a, so I la- I laughed at it and I enjoyed it and had a lot yeah, of fun. That's yeah. a great film, and I like the last duel as well too. It's in, it it just was a just miss for me too. So Ridley Scott's are both just misses for you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anything else? No. Uh, like I said, just share the films you love. Do you want to all... mention your worst film of the year? I don't know what my worst film of the year was. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. Oh, you know. There were disappointments, but I, I wasn't mad at anything. So I guess yeah. that's a win. Yeah. There were some films that went to VOD that I was not so pleasantly happy yeah. with. I mean, we won't mention Army of the Dead or anything like that, you know. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm just messing. Right. No. Uh, no, I mean, you know, yeah, most of my films are in that two and a half, three star yeah. on my entire list, you know. Uh, nothing that I could say, oh, this is the worst film I've seen in 10 years kind of deal. So so what yeah. we're hoping for in 2022 is let's, yes. let's get back to theaters. Yes. I want life to return to normal. Yes, absolutely. Well, Adam, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Film Coterie Podcast. Best of... 2021 yep tell uh, us what you think we want to hear your top 10 list yep how can they uh connect with us on the social medias yep we try to be everywhere we're on facebook instagram twitter the handle is always at the film coterie or at film coterie and uh like i said give us your top 10s we're curious all right that's gonna wrap it up you guys have a good one we'll see you next time on the film coterie <laughs>